You're listening to The Adventures of Sariputta and Mogalana. I'm your host, Maurice Sullivan. One time while traveling with a large group of monks, Venerable Sariputta ran into an acquaintance, another monk, who had just come from Rajgir, where Sariputta had lived. Two monks talked for a while about how things were going in Rajgir, and Sariputta asked him about a Brahmin there named Dananyanan. And the monk replied that Dananyanan was healthy. And is the Brahmin heedful? Sariputta asked. The monk replied that the Brahmin was not, in fact, heedful. He was actually quite corrupt. He said, on behalf of the king, he plunders Brahmins and householders. His wife, a woman of faith, has died, and he is remarried, but to a woman with no faith. Sariputta was quite disappointed to hear this, and he resolved to talk with Dananyanan when he had a chance. After some time, Sariputta's travels brought him back to Rajgir, and while on an alms round one day, he encountered Dananyanan milking a cow. Brahman saw Sariputta, and he called to him, offered him some fresh milk, but Sariputta had already eaten, so he invited the Brahmin instead to come talk with him under the shade of a nearby tree. When he had finished his milking, Dananyanan went to sit with Venerable Sariputta, and after a few courtesies, Sariputta asked him, Brahman, are you heedful? What use would I have for heedfulness, Master? Dananyanan asked. I have to support my parents, my wife, and my children. I have to support my servants and laborers. I have duties to friends and companions, relatives and guests, departed ancestors, the king, the gods, and meanwhile, I have to nourish my own body. Well, Brahmins recognized the law of karma a little bit differently than the way the Buddha taught, but he understood that doing bad things in one life would affect the next life, potentially even leading to rebirth in a hell. So Sariputta asked him, suppose a person for the sake of his mother and father does things that are unethical, immoral, harmful. And then because of this harmful behavior, after he dies, he reappears at the gates of hell. If he says to the warden, I did these harmful things for the sake of my mother and father, do you imagine the hell warden will excuse him? No, Master Sariputta, the Brahmin said, despite his wailing and excuses, he'd just throw him into hell. But what about this? Suppose he does these harmful things for the sake of his wife and children, or his servants and laborers, or his friends and companions, relatives, guests, departed ancestors, king, the gods. Or he did them to nourish his body. Will any of those things get him off the hook? No, Master Sariputta, the Brahmin said, even right while he was protesting, they'd probably throw him into hell. Then which is better, Dananyanan, one who, for the sake of his mother and father, does what is harmful and unethical, or one who, for the sake of his parents, does what is good, that which is helpful and promotes harmony? Obviously, the Brahmin said, it would be better to do good things than to do bad things, even out of a sense of responsibility and duty. So Sariputta pointed out that there are plenty of ways to meet one's responsibilities that do not cause harm. Dananyan and the Brahmin agreed, and he understood what he was being told, and he resolved to live heedfully thereafter, to be aware of the results of his actions on the world around him. Like that Brahmin, many of us forget our spiritual values and practices when we get busy trying to meet our obligations. I talked recently at White Sands Buddhist Center about this idea of heedfulness and how we can apply it in our own lives.
There's a word that you hear a lot when you start to practice Buddhism, mindfulness. The Pali form of that is sati. Um, it's very much a recurring theme. It's the seventh factor of the Eightfold Path. That's pretty important. But there's a related concept that you don't hear nearly as often, but that the Buddha considered very important, which um, the Pali word is apamada. The, you can translate that as heedfulness, like paying heed, paying attention carefully. Um, the Buddha said this about it. It was obviously pretty important to him, and he was, he was trying to explain the, how important it was said, just as the footprints of all legged animals can be encompassed by the footprint of the elephant, and the elephant's footprint is reckoned their chief in terms of size, and it's the biggest. In the same way, all skillful qualities are rooted in heedfulness. I like this idea, all skillful qualities. So, you know, practicing Buddhism is a matter of cultivating skills, skills in how you use your mind in ways that don't lead to suffering and that lead to happiness. And he said, all of these qualities have heedfulness at their root. Um, a lot of the times you'll hear heedfulness and mindfulness used kind of synonymously, but there is a difference. And I don't want to get bogged down in translation issues or anything like that, but I'll focus on what the Buddha said we should do. And that'll kind of help us understand the difference. There's a discourse in the Pali Canon, which the, for those of you who are new to Buddhism, there's sort of been different evolutions of Buddhism over the years since the 2,500 years ago when the Buddha lived. Um, and the Pali Canon is where the kind of the original teachings, the classical teachings are. Um, so there's a discourse in the Pali Canon that kind of sums up the importance of it. So King Pasanadi, who was a a king, obviously, of a region in India and was a supporter of the Buddha. He came to the Buddha and he said, is there any one quality that keeps both kinds of benefit secure? Benefits in this life and benefits in the lives to come. So, you know, Buddhism is a package deal. It's got everything. So, it's you know, a lot of people come in to meetings like this one because you're dealing with day-to-day -day stress. And somebody said, yeah, maybe you should learn how to meditate, or these Buddhists seem to, to know how to deal with stress. And so you come in looking for that. The mechanisms that bring you back to stress day-to-day -day are, in Buddhism, the same mechanisms that bring you back to stress life after life. So there's the, the rounds of coming and going. And so if you want to transcend stress, now, in the here and now, you use, do the same things that if you want to transcend stress in your next in, uh, awakening, your next birth. So he says, yes, there's one quality that keeps both kinds of benefits secure, benefits in this life and benefits in lives to come. And that quality is heedfulness. Uh, just as the footprints of all living beings with legs can be encompassed by the footprint of the elephant, in the same way, heedfulness is the one quality that keeps both kinds of benefits secure, benefits in this life and benefits in lives to come. And then he said this, he said, for one who desires long life, health, beauty, heaven, and noble birth, 
lavish delights one after another. The wise plays he prays heedfulness in performing deeds of merit. When heedful, wise, you achieve both kinds of benefit, benefits in this life and benefits in lives to come. In breaking through to your benefit, you're called enlightened and wise. In other words, if you pay attention carefully enough, you will probably lengthen your life because you know, you're going to eat better, you're going to be less stressed, it's going to be uh, less difficult on your heart and things like that. Um, you're going to be better looking. You can tell that by looking at me, can't you? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But no, you'll look, you know, when people uh, pay attention, when they're, when they're happier, when they're, they live better, like greater overall well-being, you know, you're, 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 you look happier, you look friendlier, and all of that kind of stuff. People like being around you more, and that kind of thing. Uh, what else did he say? And beauty, heaven, and noble birth. So beyond this life, then, what is going to be the result of what you do in this life after you're gone? You know, a lot of people come in going, well, do I really have to believe in reincarnation or rebirth or whatever you, whatever you call that stuff? No. But the effects that, of the life that you live in this life continue after you're gone. So do you want those to be good effects or not so good effects? So that's a good way of looking at that, I think. So benefits and lives to come. If you pay attention carefully, then you're going to, you know, the good that you do in this life will continue after you're gone. So obviously heedfulness is important, he's saying. But it's not mentioned in the Eightfold Path. It's not one of the seven factors of enlightenment and all that kind of stuff. So what do we mean when we talk about heedfulness? And I think you could say that the Buddha meant for us to be attentive and vigilant about our practice. So we practice right view and right understanding and right speech and right action and right livelihood and right effort and right mindfulness and right concentration. All of those things, in order to continue to practice those things well and skillfully, we need to pay attention to what we're doing. And so that's the heedfulness. Um, it's not enough to know what Buddhist practice is. You can recite the Eightfold Path, but if you don't pay attention to what you're doing, how are you practicing right speech? You might be able to speak very eloquently about wisdom, but if you're not applying an understanding of what really causes stress and suffering to the way you're living your life, then you're going to create stress and suffering. Even if you know how not to, you still will if you're not paying attention. And then there's another version of this where the Buddha kind of expands on the importance of it. He says, just as the rafters in a peak roof house all converge at the roof peak, and the roof peak is reckoned the foremost among them, in the same way all skillful qualities rise to center on heedfulness, converge in heedfulness, and heedfulness is the foremost among them. I like that metaphor of the rafters converging at the peak to make sure the roof is held up. And heedfulness means you know what the other skillful qualities are, qualities like wisdom and compassion. And then being attentive and vigilant about making sure you live in a wise and compassionate way and that they support one another at the top of your practice. 
I've had a number of conversations lately with people who are reading about Buddhism and they wanted to know how to practice. Where do you begin? How do you meditate? Do you have to memorize the Eightfold Path before you can do anything? Do you have to understand a whole lot of teachings before you can do anything? Or, or do you have to practice before you can understand anything? And the thing is, you start where you are. This is your path. You're on it. And so a lot of you are here, I'm sure, because you've heard or read something about Buddhism and it resonated with you and you felt the practice would be spiritually beneficial to you in some way. And then this question comes up. Okay, well, I feel this. What do I do with it? So first off, recognize that you have taken the first step. Every step of the journey is the journey. The abbot here likes to say that. It's kind of his mantra. And I agree with it. Every step of the journey is the journey. Your path brought you to this point. So wherever you are, that's where you start. In order for you to be here, you had to have some good karma in your past to get to this point. You had to have already done something that put you in a civilized land where the Dharma is available and, and as a human being that can understand and put these things into practice. So you don't have to have some special quality. You don't have to memorize a bunch of stuff or do anything like that. You just have to start paying attention, being heedful. So paying attention to what? Being heedful of what? At times the Buddha or a follower would be asked, sum up the practice. What is this practice? And they'd say simply, do good, avoid doing evil, purify the mind. So that's a good place to start. Be careful about what you're doing, your actions of body, speech, and mind. Does this action benefit yourself and others? If so, you're doing good, keep it up. Does it harm yourself or others? If so, let it go. Are you developing skillful qualities of mind and letting go of unskillful qualities? In other words, are you developing things like loving kindness and compassion, gratitude, uh, equanimity, things like that, letting go of greed, hatred, delusion? If that's what you're doing, keep it up. So one time I was talking about heedfulness to a, like a community group. It wasn't Buddhist. Uh, but, and someone said, you know, I, I see, you know, you seem to be a pretty happy guy and all of that. And he said, but if I didn't know better, I'd say that this makes Buddhism sound pretty boring. He says, you have to go around being heedful all the time. And then he mentioned this quote by, that was actually came from an educator named William Perky, who said, you got to dance like there's nobody watching. Love like you'll never be hurt sing like there's nobody listening, and live like it's heaven on earth. And he liked that quote, and he said, does that fit in with Buddhism anywhere? And I said, well, of course it does. In fact, there's a kind of a, in order for you to live heedfully, you, you need to live an authentic life. I mean, that's really the objective of this, is to live authentically, which means you're not always going around protecting yourself from other people's attitudes or hiding behind your ego. You're not putting up walls to shelter yourself from reality. Uh, if we're being heedful, sure, we're careful not to cause harm to ourselves and others. 
but we also realize that the quality of our dancing, our loving, and our singing isn't up to other people, it's up to our willingness to dance, to love, and to sing. We don't have to try to have compassion just for people that we know will return it. We can have compassion because it's good for us and for the society that we're in to have compassion. Whether or not they appreciate it, whether or not they thank us for it, we don't have to evaluate what we do in relationship just to how other people perceive us. And so we're free to dance as if no one else is watching. So we don't hold back from admiring the beauty of a flower because we know it's going to fade. We admire it now. And when it fades, we let it compost and we use it to plant more flowers. And when you can pay attention to that degree, then you do live like heaven is on earth. In fact, kind of the, we chant the Heart Sutra every Sunday. And one of the reasons we chant the Heart Sutra is because it reminds us that nirvana is not something that we get some point out there in the future if we live enough lives. Nirvana is here. At the prison where I go every week, we end our meetings with a quote from Zen Master Dogen, who founded the Soto School of Japanese Zen. He said, friends, I remind you, life and death are of supreme importance. Time passes swiftly by and opportunity is lost. Each of us must strive to awaken, awaken, be heedful, do not squander this life. So you only get to experience this moment one time. So pay attention to it. So I encourage you, live fully, be heedful, don't squander this moment or any other. Take every chance you can for spiritual growth. Thank you for your heedfulness. Thank you for joining me for episode 28 of The Adventures of Sariputta and Moggallana. I hope you enjoyed this discussion of heedfulness and that it gave you some ideas you can apply to your life. Now go save the world. <laughs>